in the TED Talk, I define my artist statement. I document divine providence. So for me, an artist is someone who's acutely aware that their perception of the world is unique and who thrives to share that. In my case, it gives permission to others to get in touch with... Uh, to acknowledge that dreams, uh, uh, coincidences, uh, signs might mean something. And of course, everybody's on a unique journey. Welcome to the Art and Life podcast with your host, Taylor Gallegos. Art exists all around us, in all directions, from all walks of life. We just need to know how to see it. The Art and Life podcast is an experiment in an audio format that focuses on the art and philosophy involved with different people and their life paths. This experiment is intended to inspire you in your creative pursuits, whatever they may be. Follow along as I interview movers and shakers from all walks of life. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, craft, or vision. These interviews showcase that fact. Listen while you work. Listen while you create. Listen while you dream up the next big breakthrough. First off, I want to say thank you for listening. The people being interviewed and I are two parts of the podcast, but it wouldn't be complete without you, the listener. I very much appreciate your attention and your energy, and I hope you get as much out of this as I do. If you enjoy what you hear, you join me on this artistic journey in many ways. You can subscribe to the show, leave a review, share it around. You can join the conversation on the Art and Life Facebook group where you get notified of fresh episode drops. You can join my email list on my website at taylorgallegosart.com on the contact page. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at taylorgallegosart. And finally, you can support me on Patreon. So again, a deep and sincere thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Now, on to the good stuff. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. I am your host, Taylor Gallegos on art and life and with me today i have an awesome guest i'm so pumped to bring this this gentleman to you guys um the whole thing he, he's got a story and it it blew my mind i know it's gonna do the same for you um yeah he's he's coming in from singapore and it's all it's tomorrow already where he's at it's it's gonna blow your guys mind so uh guillaume levy lambert Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Taylor. Bonjour to you and uh, everybody who's uh, listening in our conversation today. Yeah, bonjour, bonjour. Um, that is the extent of my French, um, <laughs> but but I'm really excited to have you here. This this story of yours is is absolutely mind blowing, and being um, 
you know, an artist full time and then have, you know, I've gone through a formal arts training where I got to learn about art history and, and your story like ties in with that. So I'm, I'm pumped to have you, you talk, but let's start with the basics of who you are, where you're from, how you got to where you're at and what it is you do. And then we'll dive into your story. Right. So how much time do you have? <laughs> enough. Enough for this. This is going to be great. Yes. Well, okay. My, my story starts. I was born near Paris. I mentioned the date because it will come up later. Uh, I was born on 21st of May, 1962, uh, which you could think is an ordinary date. Um, and I guess it's as ordinary as anyone's own birthday. Uh, but as you'll see, we can unveil magic with uh, any date and certainly there's some uh, involving my birth date. Uh, I grew up uh, near Paris and really quickly uh, I left um, home uh, to, I was in business school really young, joined an exchange program that brought me to the uh, graduate business school of uh, New York University. It was not yet called a Stern business school, but that's how it's called now. And then I was for another semester as an exchange student in Spain in a school called Esade in Barcelona. Um, did my national service for France through a special program that took me to Montreal in Canada for a year. And then I joined um, a bank, a French bank, uh, then called Paribas, now it's BNP Paribas. I joined their asset management uh, business and really quickly they sent me to Tokyo. So here I am, age 24, uh, I've already got you know, an MBA, uh, my, done my national service, I'm already you know, two, three years in, uh, with the bank, and I'm opening the office for Paribas Asset Management in Japan. Uh, this is how, you know, and I've, to simplify things, I've not, not left Asia ever since. Uh, I stayed for four years in Tokyo with the, with the bank. It was retro, not, now those years, which is the, um, mid to late 80s, they're called the bubble years. Of course, at that time, we didn't know it was a bubble, financial bubble. That's the time when Japan could sort of buy the rest of the world. I mean, I'm exaggerating a bit, of course. They, at that time, they bought the Rockefeller Center. I mean, some Japanese investor, they bought uh, a lot of art as well. There were some major record then, um, very famously for some uh, Van Gogh, Van Gogh paintings uh, of uh, sunflowers or irises. Uh, I mean, of course, all these records have since been uh, blown uh, several times. Uh, so I was at the right place at the right time uh, uh, in terms of my, my, my career. And that's how very quickly, uh, after a short stint back in Paris, taking care of my US business, I uh, went to Hong Kong for four years. Uh, you know, in those days, seen from uh, France, uh, Asia was sort of, you know, one, one continent, but sort of, same thing. Oh, Guillaume, he, he, he got Japan, so he, he'll, he'll get Hong Kong and China. Of course, there are huge differences between uh, each culture and subculture. Uh, anyways, um, things continued really quite smoothly. And uh, after four years in Hong Kong, I moved to Singapore. So that's how I'm in Singapore now for 27 years, almost. Um, I arrived in Singapore late 95. I was 33 years old, heading the asset management and private banking business of the bank. And I thought I'll work for the bank for the rest of my life. Uh, ever since uh, 
the Japan years, uh, my bosses thought, uh, you know, I was uh, doing great. I think I was mostly at the right place at the right time. Um, and, uh, you know, I liked the bank. They were treating me well. And then something happened during a client meeting. And almost instantly, I decided to leave the bank. I went from thinking, oh, I'll be there my whole life with a sort of fantasy. Maybe I'll be, you know, I could be running the bank or at least having one of the top jobs and one of those super beautiful offices in head office. Uh, um, um, the head office of the bank had been a city hall of the second arrondissement of Paris. And this is where, you know, Napoleon got married there. You know, you had all these wood paneling and uh, uh, everything sort of gilded and all that. I thought it was so cool. Uh, so I went, uh, I went in a moment from thinking I'll be there my whole life to uh, I want out now. And uh, a day later, I, you know, I wondered, well, what do I do next? And I you know, asked myself the right question and the answer you, came, advertising. Can you tell us what, uh, what that was or is it not? Yeah, no, I, of course I can. No, in terms of first, what, well, first what happened at the meeting, I was with a, a colleague of mine, uh, one of my bosses from London. He, um, uh, he was, you know, we were visiting a client of the bank, a big uh, corporation here in Singapore, and he was speaking to the finance director, looking at him, uh, you know, in the eyes, almost lovingly, and showing him the shape of the German yield curve. So he was explaining that you could borrow short short term Deutschmarks. Um, we're in uh, 1996, um, so pre-euro, and and invest in three-year bonds and you know and make some money. And he he was explaining this with really sparkle in the eyes. And I remember maybe for the first time in my life feeling that actually I'm not in a meeting. I'm observing the meeting, and thinking oh. I don't know what's the shape of the German yield curve and I don't care. Actually, you know, it doesn't turn me on. Um, so that, that was, and then there was a second similar incident uh, about an hour later in my office. And um, this is when I thought, well, I, ca I can't stay there. I can't, you know, I'm faking it. I can't be the best at what I'm doing because I'm not really interested in the product. So that's why, how I decided to leave the bank. And then um, I think that same evening, I asked myself, in which industry could I be as passionate as this guy? Um, and the answer came to me a day or two later, advertising. I loved good cinema advertising for its entertainment value. I mean, you know how in um, 30 seconds or a minute, you have a whole story that uh, has you know humor or emotion and showcases the product and and of course you know typically very good production value so you know when when, when i was um, a teenager i would go to the cinema in paris for the ads you know <laughs> pre, obviously way pre youtube and all that so you'd have a timing for uh, what's called the seance when the show starts with the ads and then you, you know uh, there'd be a short intermission where you could buy uh, ice cream and this sort of thing. And then the movie starts. And of course, from week to week, the ads were largely the same. Uh, so I knew I was going to see these little films I loved again and again. And then if the movie is good, that's a bonus. 
So when I, you know, about 15 years later, I asked myself, yeah, what do I want to do now that I think I've grown up? The answer came advertising. And I imagined myself immediately, I visualized going back to the same client's office, but knocking on the next door, the marketing director's room. And then I imagine I'd see this person and tell him or her, well, for your advertising campaign, you know, you need to showcase maybe, you know, a woman with a red dress. And I would do that with the same sparkle in the eyes and that guy speaking about uh, investing in German bonds. So I made that happen. I manifested the uh, opportunity. Uh, sort of cold call. I mean, I mean, I wrote unsolicited letters to uh, some big honchos in the world of advertising and the doors open. I experienced what uh, Polo Coelho describes in The Alchemist. When you're crystal clear in your mind about what you want, the whole universe conspires to make that happen. So this was an extraordinary moment in my life because you know I don't always have this absolute clarity about what I want. Uh, you know, but when you have that, you've got to really grab it and go for it, which I did. Because of course, at that time, I spoke to uh, friends, including uh, you know headhunters and all that, and. Uh, for them, I had the perfect CV to be placed in another bank. Sure. Um, but I didn't want that. Um, and the more people told me it's impossible, you know, Guillaume, what experience of advertising do you have? And, you know, and I had none. The more, uh, you know, I was uh, uh, led to explain myself and to articulate what uh, I liked about the industry. And I realized really quickly that. Uh, I understood intuitively the organization of an advertising agency. So I, I came up with a, a parallel between an asset management company and an advertising agency. So you've got a lot of money to play with. Um, I mean, not everybody will agree with my use of the word play. In one case, to invest in stocks, bonds, cash, or maybe real estate or uh, wine or whatever. Or you've got the same money to communicate for your clients and you can put that money on you know TV uh, billboards newspaper or maybe uh, you know direct marketing events uh, uh, not yet the internet at that time so um, uh, the the sort of fiduciary responsibility to do well with the client's money I got that how you market I got that showing track record like you know look at a mutual fund how I did last year or look at the results we had with these ads we did for Perrier, um, um, and I got the organization chart where you know you have some people uh, who are paid to decide is it better to advertise on uh, NBC at 8 p.m. or to uh, you know do the pop-up uh, thing on, on on the internet. So you got people who do that. You know, uh, also looking at uh, stocks or bonds, is it better to buy? Uh, triple a bond with a 20 year maturity or is it better to buy uh, you know apple stock or whatever so doors open wide and um, 
to cut a long story a, a bit shorter here, I um, left the bank on Friday night and the Monday morning I joined a, another French company also with a name starting with P, it's called Publicis and I was, uh, I was basically the Asia-Pacific CEO and chairman for 10 years, I, I, starting from almost scratch, so I built a network. Uh, and that felt really good because um, uh, I had decided that's what I wanted to do. And I felt, in fact, that for the first time in my life, I took control. I felt like before that, things had been easy and, uh, you know, which school I went to, uh, um, uh, choosing to work for the bank. Though that, there's a longer story there because I changed my mind four times in two days before choosing the offer from the bank. Uh, back in 1984. Uh, but this time I knew what I wanted and uh, I made it happen. Then something a little perverse happened because I enjoyed so much this reinvention, the whole process of realizing I was in the wrong place and identifying what I wanted to do next and making it happen, you know, uh, in a spectacular way that felt really uh, magical, that uh, drew everybody's admiration then. And uh, I thought I wanted to experience this at least one more time. In fact, the decision that to, to reinvent again, I took it uh, yeah, a few months after joining Publicis. I remember being in the dance floor in a club. So people who uh, are from Singapore, visit Singapore, will know the club. Uh, Zook, it still exists today. And uh, so in those days, you could find me there from you know Thursday to Saturday evenings. And I remember a friend introduces me to uh, his girlfriend, and she works in an advertising agency. And, and here I am, I'm sort of int interviewing her in the dance floor, and everybody thinks it's normal. And you know, four months before, I was, uh, I was a banker. And I thought, wow, this is great. I'm, I'm really welcomed with uh, open arms in this industry. And this is when I thought, oh, I want to get that feeling again. So during the 10 years I worked in advertising, there was often that little voice uh, saying, well, what comes next? But of course, in the meantime, I was also uh, wondering, you know, should I stay there for the rest of my life? And, uh, you know, there was... Uh, and... Perhaps that's why today I introduce myself as an artist. Yeah. So how did that happen? So th th there's, a, there's a couple of uh, defining moments there. But the, the first one, the most direct answer to that question is back in 2007, so I'd been in uh, the advertising job for about 10 years, and I was actually negotiating my exit. There's been a lot, been a lot of push and pull, I changed my mind a few times, do I want to go, do I want to stay? And then for various reasons, uh, uh, you know, it's time to go. And I'm on the phone, um, I remember vividly, it's just outside my house here in Singapore, I'm on the phone with um, friend of mine in New York. He's, he's an artist himself. Uh, his name is Xavier Roux. And he, he happens to be a graduate of the same business school that I've been to. It's called HEC, H-E-C. 
so it leaves uh, everywhere. Anyway, I'm sharing with him one of my ideas. Uh, that, that idea is, has to do with transforming the art collection that I've built with my art partner, with, sorry, the art collection that I built with my life partner into um, a uh, project for storytelling, for sharing the story of the collectors. How I want to take a painting and next to it, I want to put a, a, a story. Uh, how we've appropriated this artwork, how it, for us, it speaks of a personal experience. And I described to him the idea. And he says, Guillaume, tu es un artiste. Guillaume, you're an artist. And I remember being stunned and completely silent for, you know, what must have been, you know, at least five seconds <laughs> while I was processing. The thought had never occurred to me. And, but I, I realized he was right. I said, oh, yes. I, I was stunned and as I digested this over the next few days, I realized I was ashamed. I was 45 years old. I'm an artist and I have nothing to show for it. So if you, you know, if we'd met then and if through an interview you managed to extract that of me, I would have blushed in shame. So, you know, today is actually still one of the first times I'm actually speaking up about this because I've, well, I've done one or two things that uh, I think have some merit. Um, not enough yet, so my, my to-do list uh, is big. So that, that, that's sort of the uh, defining coming out incident. And it was really funny because um, it was relatively easy for me to come out as a gay person, uh, even in a generation where you know, we grew up without role models and all that. And I didn't understand some of my friends who, for whom it was more complicated. I didn't understand when you know, sometimes uh, uh, people I knew in the maybe mid-40s with wife and kids all of a sudden uh, would uh, come out as gay and uh, some, you know, at times created a lot of uh, unhappiness around them. I, and I thought that these people had been lying most of their lives. And all of a sudden, with what happened with me as an artist, I realized you can have fundamental truth about yourself that you don't know. And I felt it was a little bit of karma that I had not understood or accepted that perhaps these people were not, you know, were, were, were not lying, were sincere, that they didn't know they were gay. Well, for me, I can tell you, I didn't know I was an artist. And even though I was exposed to art since I was a kid, you know, with a grandmother who dragged me to the Louvre, with parents who take us uh, uh, visiting museums on vacation, and with a bit of art at home, with, you know. Um, but the idea that I would be an artist had never occurred to me till that point. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, that's so awesome because, well, and, and art has two sides to it. There's the creation element and then there's the observer, the viewer element. And if you were only on the side of the viewer for so long, like you, you, and you were never introduced to the creation side and maybe never like 
uh, encouraged or, or shown like that it's okay or whatever. Like, yeah, I mean, I could see that would, that'd make sense that you would never even know that that part of you was there. Yes. And of course it's made the, my life, you know, to date, um, super rich and exciting. So I've had, you know, 25 years of corporate life, roughly between the bank and advertising. And now this new life with, uh, with art as an artist, also, you know, as a collector, I've referred to that. And, uh, I also, uh, we also have a gallery here in Singapore. So I, um, I'm now in contact with art from lots of different perspectives. Of course, creating art, uh, being an artist, that's the richest of them all. Um, and for this, and I know you, are, you want to get there, Taylor, uh, uh, I'm uh, eternally indebted to Roy Lichtenstein. Okay. Tell us, why don't you first tell the people who, who he is, who he was, and then, and then tell us about the story. Yeah, interestingly, Roy Lichtenstein, his name is not as famous as Andy Warhol. Um, you know, I've shared uh, the calendar story uh, with uh, you know, thousands of people over the past almost 23 years. And uh, sometimes even people who are you know, really educated and well-traveled and go to museums don't uh, recognize the name. However, the visual, the images, everybody's seen this. Everybody. Uh, so Liechtenstein, together with Andy Warhol, is one of you know two main uh, founding fathers of pop art. Uh, in the early '60s, um, Warhol came up with uh, you know some uh, extraordinary innovation like the Campbell kind of soup. So showing the beauty in a mundane object, while uh, Liechtenstein. Uh, became really famous with large paintings derived from comic books. So everybody's seen these. Uh, you typically have these speech bubbles and a trademark um, which is called the Bendai dot. So it's like, you know, in, in those days when you looked at a comic book in the 60s and probably still in the 70s, you would, with a magnifying glass, or even with a good eye, you, you, naked eye, you'd see little dots from the printing process. So uh, Liechtenstein made these bigger, uh, enlarged them. Um, so Liechtenstein's language uh, has been used uh, and abused in a way uh, by the world of advertising in particular. So you often see still today all kinds of ads where people uh, make co like comic book type of images with speech bubbles that directly derive from Liechtenstein's work. Of course, Liechtenstein himself was really uh, inspired by the world of advertising. So uh, a lot of his paintings were derived from uh, everyday objects, so comic books, but also uh, he would cut ads in the Yellow Pages book, phone book, uh, so, you know, black on yellow, but when he would paint it, it would typically be black on white. So, uh, everyday objects like uh, uh, a bin, a washing machine, a radio, 
um, all these consumer objects uh, that uh, were part of uh, everyone's world in the, in the transforming uh, world that, uh, that the US in the early 60s was. As a teenager, Liechtenstein was one of the first artists I learned to recognize in museum. I mean, it's easy. And I would consider him my favorite artist, at least on some days, if uh, you'd meet me and ask me who's my favorite artist, I could say Liechtenstein. Uh, I'm not sure I could articulate why, except that I love comic books. Uh, you know, I grew up reading Le Journal de Mickey. So every week, um, I don't know if it was Tuesday or Wednesday. We we we'd run to the to mailbox to be to be, to you know, I have two siblings to. Uh, so the uh, I wanted to be the first one to pick up the journal de Mickey. It was mine and read it first. And uh, so. Yeah. So Liechtenstein was born in 1923. On October 27. And he passed away. Uh, in 1997, sometime in uh, September. Yeah. And then? And then? <laughs> and then, Taylor. So, well, let, 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 let's start first by the uh, important stuff, which is uh, love. In um, early July 99, here in Singapore, so I'd been uh, already in Singapore for almost four years. I'd been uh, working in the world of advertising for about two years. And um, Friday night I go out and I meet a young man, his name is Mark. Uh, and so today he's my life partner for the, you know, of 23 years. And a few days after we, we met, th things moved really quickly because we decided to take a vacation together. And I had a, this business trip planned to the US, so we, um, uh, we agreed to meet on the West Coast so that it's marginally closer, and we choose Los Angeles uh, over, I think we discussed San Francisco and uh, Vancouver maybe, maybe, or maybe Seattle, I forgot. Uh, and we choose LA mostly because most neither of us knew LA really well, so we wanted to go choose a city without too much baggage for either of us. Um, Mark, who's Singaporean Chinese, had studied architecture in the US um, uh, with quite a lot of art history classes. So you know, like 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 uh, for me, art was important. So we meet in LA uh, um, less than a month after we first met in Singapore. So I flew from Chicago where I had business meetings and uh, uh, we settled at the Mondrian Hotel, and Mond which had just been refurbished uh, by Philippe Stark. Uh, and if you'd asked me who's my favorite artist, on certain days I might have said Mondrian rather than Liechtenstein, interestingly enough. And we, you know, a couple of days into the trip, we make a list of museums that we want to visit. And we actually think we want to go to the Getty first because it had just been, uh, you know, there's this new museum that had just been uh, uh, designed by Richard Meyer. But to visit the Getty, you needed to book a, 
packing space and that we could do only for the later. So uh, we, uh, we go to MOCA. That's the Museum of Contemporary Arts in Grand Avenue in downtown LA. So that's the first museum we ever visit together. And in one of the first rooms, uh, we stumble upon a painting by Liechtenstein. I recognize Liechtenstein instantly. The painting is called uh, Desk Calendar. Um, and it depicts, as its title indicates, actually at that time it was known as Calendar, not Desk Calendar. Anyway. Uh, it depicts an appointment book. So Liechtenstein had uh, blown up and transformed his own uh, diary appointment book. You know, one of these contraptions people used to have on their desk, typically with a wooden base and two metal arches. Um, so two pages for a day where you'd scribble appointments and phone numbers. So the first thing I see is the date of desk calendar, the date of his appointment book, uh, which is the 21st of May, 1962. So I've mentioned that date earlier. <laughs> That's the day I was born. And of course, I'm already extremely joyful because you know, I've seen a you know, painting that depicts my birth date. Then on, on the left-hand side of the painting, there is a, like a planning for the year with the 12 months and um, you know, all the dates indicated. And there's one date circled, only one, uh, with an arrow pointing to it. So it's marked. And it's actually marked for Mark, he and he, because he screams, it's my birthday. And you see, I didn't really know his birthday then, because uh, we're in early August, 1999. And I had asked him, when is your birthday? But you know, he told me October 26th, so I sort of thought to myself, well, I don't need to worry about it, because uh, in terms of you know, getting a gift or whatever because uh, it's not any time soon and uh, you know who knows if we'd still be dating um, in October. So we were with a close friend of mine who had been accompanying me on the business trip uh, part of my, uh, my, my US uh, travel. Um, his name is also Xavier and uh, I remember Xavier, he whistled the theme song from the Twilight Zone. <laughs> can yeah. you whistle, Taylor? <laughs> can I whistle? Yeah. I can, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you can do that. I can't, but... Um, oh, you can. Yeah. No, I, I can't whistle. So he did that. So, yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, and I think I said... Um, I think I said it's a good omen. Yeah. Yeah, so this is the opening act in the calendar story. This is the opening act in the calendar story, and to go back then to this question of coming out as an artist, so I now know and even have the proof that Liechtenstein created the painting for me. <laughs> yeah. And when I first realized that um, a few months later, you know, for many years I wondered what does that mean? Because I heard his voice, I heard the voice of the late Roy Liechtenstein, and that's in our early March 2000, so a few months after seeing the painting, I heard his voice saying, Guillaume, this painting, I did it for you. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, 
for years. I wonder, did that really happen? And um, what did he mean? And of course, he, he meant a lot of things, and uh, or I've, I've attributed a lot of meaning to it. Uh, because that gift is a gift that keeps giving. Death calendar is... Uh, it's a bit like these fireworks that keep exploding. Whenever you think that's it, well, it explodes again in another color, on another type of firework. Uh, and it's been like that for 23 years now. Because clearly, um, thanks to that gift, you know, I'd always collected art. Uh, I bought my first painting during my national service when I was 20. Uh, but we, Mark and I, we became really serious collectors or um, so that's one of the gifts from seeing desk calendar um, becoming a merchant as well you know there's this whole story about the phone number maybe I don't I don't know whether you know Taylor do, do you know whose phone number that was I don't remember that part yeah so, so, you know, this painting turned me into a detective as well. Um, um, I mean, I was a bit of that already. As a teenager, I did a lot of ge genealogical study. So it's a bit like detective work. You know, you, you know when your parents are born and uh, you find out when your grandparents are born and you get uh, the certificates of birth. And then from that, you, you can find one more generation. And then you go to the cemetery and you get more information, etc. So I, I, I'd, I'd done a lot of that when I was um, in my late teens. I even got a, an award for that uh, from uh, Philips. Uh, so I, I kind of like this sort of detective game. So I played that um, uh, with uh, Death Calendar. And over the years, I went to meet everybody who could explain. Um, um, Roy Lichtenstein's uh, widow, Dorothy, um, uh, his uh, younger son, uh, Mitchell, who's a big part of our story, uh, the first owner of Death Calendar, the legendary Count Giuseppe Panza di Biumo, who, who was a major Italian collector, born in 1923, like Lichtenstein, um, and who uh, was... Uh, uh, instrumental in creating Mocha in Los Angeles. So the painting came from his collection. I thought he'd know something about the painting. So, you know, I wrote to him, went to meet him. And, and every time I meet all these people and the information I get, uh, you know, is, is, is quite extraordinary. Yeah, so I mentioned the phone number because one of the um, most visible inscription on this calendar reads, call 212-288-4820. So one thing I found out is that in 1962, at the time Lichtenstein painted Das Calendar, uh, that was Leo Castelli's number. Leo Castelli, who was Lichtenstein's uh, merchant, uh, art dealer, gallerist, uh, and very prominent one at that. So you didn't know whose phone number that was, but you know whose phone number it is today, Taylor, don't you? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I remember that part. Yeah. Yeah, so about 10 years ago, uh, I managed to uh, get hold of the phone number. So that's now uh, <laughs> my, my, my US number. And so what happens when the painting's on show, 
in uh, LA at MOCA or when it travels, uh, um, members of the public today pick up their mobile phone and call the number. So I've been collecting voicemails from about 2011 to 2016, voicemails of members of the public who were calling desk calendar, doing something that's apparently absurd, which is, uh, you know, pick up a number in a painting from 1962, um, 50 years later, and expect something. So something happened, they left a voicemail, and um, sometimes a few years later, they got a message from me, uh, either iMessage or WhatsApp from my Singapore number, uh, inviting them for conversation. So I had about 30 conversations with uh, callers, um, all uh, video uh, on, on video. So we, we, we spoke on Skype or FaceTime and uh, we're being recorded. Plus I was being filmed by Romy Engel, a Israeli video artist who's uh, also my niece. And out of these 30 hours of conversation, we created a five minute film called Evidence, which was shown in 2016 at the Contemporary Jewish Museum in San Francisco. Um, and that's what led to the TEDx. And that film Evidence, it's the reason why I would not blush today when reaffirming I'm an artist. It's just, if you know, even if it's just that, um, and you know, it's not been watched as of today, uh, you know, millions of times, but I know, or I feel, it will stay behind me. Uh, I think it's really important work. Because it's called evidence, there's a bit of a pun, so evidence is the proof, and evidence is what um, jumps to the eye. Uh, but for me, it's short form for evidence of divine providence. Wow. <laughs> All they, like you're very correct in saying that it's like um, the fireworks that just keep on exploding into new colors or like newer and newer layers coming through because it's like it's art with a twist and then art on top of it and then a twist and then art on top of it. And it, it's like you just keep on like rolling this. Like it keeps on rolling open again and again. Yes, and it's infinite because um, there's so many connections. And one, one thing I'm discovering now, it will never be finished. Uh, I've tried a few times to bring the calendar story to an end because it was, you know, it was haunting, at times disturbing. You know, on, uh, on one or two occasions I had even to see a psychiatrist, like, you know, is it all for real? And um, uh, yeah, you know, there's ups and downs and dark moments, even in a fairy tale. Or, or perhaps you need dark moments for it to be a fairy tale. So fairy tales was the fairy tale selection from the Magma Collection. That was the title of the first exhibition of our collection in 2010 in Singapore. Uh, so, you know, I, I referenced this idea of transforming the collection to tell the collector's story. So. Uh, that materialized with the first uh, artwork shown at the Singapore Art Museum in, in 2008, uh, with another artwork uh, shown at uh, Gallery Art Seasons in uh, 2009, 
and with a full-fledged exhibition in 2010 in, in Singapore at Opera Gallery. And that exhibition trans, you know, was a little bit uh, transformed and traveled to Paris in 2014 under the title The Calendar Story, Collection Magma à Paris. Uh, in a bilingual presentation, uh, you just have to know that the French is not a translation of the English, so I gave a bonus to people who could read both languages. <laughs> so pages of the collection uh, were transformed, were integrated into diptychs like traveling cases that were designed by Jean-François Milou, who's the uh, architect of the National Gallery of Singapore. Uh, uh, so some of the paintings from the, from the collection, the Magma Collection, which is the name of the collection I built up with Mark, um, uh, those that we use to describe an episode in the story. So, for example, hearing Liechtenstein's voice, that's an episode in the calendar story, or finding out that the phone number was Leo Castelli's. And, um, so, for the viewers of the exhibition, I've invited them basically in a treasure hunt. Mine lasted, uh, you know, at the time of this exhibition, maybe already uh, tw you know, 12 years. Uh, and it would take, you know, an hour, an hour and a half for the public to uh, make sense of uh, the, the stories and the paintings. And so you'd be in front of a diptych and you'd wonder, well, why is this painting? Well, different people will wonder different things. So divine providence curates a unique itinerary for each of us. So you might be attracted by a given painting, maybe it's yellow and that's the color that speaks to you today, Taylor, and you'd go there and read the story and you'd wonder, well, why is this painting linked to this story? Um, sometimes there's some ob something obvious, uh, but you might perceive something that even I've not thought of when writing it, and it's, it's, uh, it remains true. And if you manage, you know, if you read both the French and the English, you're going to get more clues. And there's also a four-digit code with each story so each episode has a magma number and that's another clue so sometimes the numbers there's a magma 2000 so uh well maybe it's obvious i'm talking about something that happened in the year 2000 but you can read it differently uh because sometimes a date you know four digit number you could read it like a date it could speak of your birthday or your mom's birthday and of course for example you know for example, there's a Magma 1007. That's quite an important work. That's, um, that's the one that was shown at Art Season. Uh, it's, kind of a, it's kind of the artist statement that I made at that time. So at that time, I said the collector came out as an artist. So that was the first step in my coming out as an artist, where I've been, you know, I've been transforming the works in the collection, using them as a medium um, for our storytelling. Uh, but the date, I mean, the number 1007, you can read it as uh, 7th of October or 10th of July, depending on the convention of, you know, different countries have different ways of writing dates. And in fact, amazingly, that's one example where that number took new meaning, even for me, as the stories developed. Sometimes I would pair a work with a painting and the full meaning of it will come later. So that's a dimension of the magic of art. There are so many layers to it. And you're an artist yourself, Taylor, you, you, you know that. You can create something and it will take meaning for yourself or for members of the public uh, 
later on. Uh, so art in general is a gift that keeps giving. I mean, for me, it's totally obvious with this calendar, and I can talk about it for a long time. Uh, I think it's true of any good artwork. Yeah, absolutely, and and like context of the world and everything and people's lives and everything uh, is always shifting and changing, and and then the art is one thing, and so then like the context of everything else kind of rotates around and and so the the view of the art is always always changing yeah it's it's really it's really cool it's dynamic and certain things will hit at one time and then they'll completely completely fall flat from another context um yeah wow this is cool i feel like i feel like we've got some good stuff here for part two um, yes. And I, but I don't want to, I don't want to miss the questions because I'm excited to hear what you have to say about our, uh, you know, our part one questions that I told you about. So yes. We're going to come back to that. I've got two good concepts to be, to ask you. And, uh, okay. Uh, before that, uh, um, one question. Do you know when you're planning to air the podcast? Um, probably within the next week or so. Okay, okay, good. So, uh, because as you know, I'm preparing something <laughs> for this coming 21st of May. So we, um, okay. You want me to hold because, off for it? No, 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 continue. no, it's good. It comes before because you, oh, you okay, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We might, we might get some members of the public interested to join that. So, yeah, well, yeah, we'll get this out quick. It'll be, we'll, we'll let the people know. Um, and we'll put it all in the show notes, everything that you want to, to tell everybody about it. Um, okay, so question one is, what is your advice to aspiring creatives? And this is a creatives with a capital C, like creatives of all backgrounds, um, all, all sort of disciplines and styles. Yes. Um... You know, when you started the question, I thought you were going to ask me about artists, and now you ask about creative, uh, which I think is really interesting. So, actually, before I came out as an artist, I I would define myself as creative. Or I would, uh, you know, I think people, my colleagues at the bank, uh, would have uh, mentioned, you know, creative amongst you know five six adjectives uh, to describe myself, and I would, you know. I consider myself creative. I don't, so I knew I was creative, but I didn't know I was an artist. So, so uh, it, it's, it's really different. So first, inspiring creative, I think everybody must be creative. I mean, to go through life without being creative, it's, it's, you know, would be a big, 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 uh, big miss. Um, and of course, if you are not in touch with your creativity, um, well, I, I invite people sometimes to play a game. Go to a museum or art gallery. Usually, art galleries are free. Museums, depending on the places, you might have to pay tickets. So, if it, you know, so going to art gallery, you know, in Singapore where it's hot outside, there's usually free aircon, so it's comfortable, and don't be intimidated. 
you know, look at the art that's free and play a game. Which artworks uh, would you take home? Don't you know? I'm not trying to turn the public into collectors, though it's 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 nice to have art at home. But you can collect in your in your mind uh, and try to wonder why is this artwork speaking to me? Is this the color that reminds me of my grandmother's dress? Is it um, that today I feel joyful because it's my anniversary and what is it? And you have to know that uh, there's nothing wrong with it. You, you know, Marcel Duchamp famously said, c'est le regardeur qui fait le tableau. It's the viewer who makes the painting. Um, come up with your stories. And if it's just in your head, don't be afraid of, uh, uh, of saying something wrong. And then try, maybe the next step of that exercise could be um, try this out with your girlfriend or, or maybe even with the staff at the gallery. Say, oh, I look at this, I think of my lunch of chicken rice. <laughs> and see the conversation that follows. It can't be wrong. And sometimes you realize, so if you go, and this is when maybe when you touch with the, uh, the artist in you or, or, or you're really moved by the art, sometimes you'll find out something true about the artwork, including sometimes something the uh, artist didn't know. So if I go back to the, you know, I mentioned uh, Magma 1007, the title of that work is Self-Portrait of the Collector by another artist. So you have appropriated, so, so the painting depicts a Ganesh, you know, that's the uh, elephant god, he's got many uh, arms and all that, so it speaks a bit of a fantasy I have to be able to multitask and do so many things during you know, my lifetime. And so I wrote that little story. When the artist, his name is David Chan, when he saw what I'd written at his exhibition, so there was on a board, on a giant board that doubled the size of the painting, he, he said something to the effect that, you know, yeah, if Ganesh w could speak, this is what he would have said. I mean, he, he felt I had uncovered a layer of truth about his painting that, uh, you know, he... Uh, and many, many of the artists that we've transformed, that we've magnetized, uh, with the works felt the same way. That, um, uh, so, this game I call it appropriating. Um, so as a collector, we appropriate the works because we remember where we bought this, that was during uh, you know, this trip there, and we, a friend had told us to visit this gallery, and this is what happened, and we met the artist. And the, so, so there's all, this, uh, uh, all these stories behind, but we, we go full steam and express them. And of course, Death Calendar, a lot of people ask, you know, wh uh, whether I try to buy the painting. So, of course, I tried, and uh, not, not, not that I had the money or anything. And of course, the money, uh, the, the museum, uh, you know, <laughs> would, would not talk about it. Um, but it's okay, I've done so much better. I've appropriated Death Calendar. I don't think you could see Death Calendar without uh, thinking of my story. And I think one day we'll be exhibited with evidence next to it. It's uh, Roy Lichtenstein in 1962 created, or perhaps co-created with me, the first interactive artwork for the mobile phone era. 
<laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's a kind of flat black and white painting, but now it has all these dimensions with this five-minute video and so much more because, you know, I continue, you know, the exhibitions of the Magma Collection, that's a monument to Liechtenstein and the calendar story. Um, so to go back to you, your, you know, advice for aspiring creatives. Um, well, first go for it, because if you already know you're an aspiring creative, just, you know, take a small step at a time, experiment. What has worked well for me is sharing my ideas with friends. And it took me to unexpected places, including the friend telling me I'm an artist and this journey I'm on. Um, the other thing I would say is, um, well, being creative is good. Being an artist is even better. So I think it's in all of us. I think, uh, you know, we're all created at God's image and that means we have infinite creativity. And then my other comment on your question is, uh, for me, the creative with a big C, uh, I think there's only one. I think it's God. So I, for me, I look at creation with a big C. And I speak of um, art. For me, the best art, and whether it's the ones produced by others or the one I aspire to create, is a revelation. And I say revelation because I think when, when things really uh, click, when, when the magic happens, when the artist is in flow, when you create something that's really bigger than you, it means you're revealing something. Because you're connecting with, you know, well, okay, I speak of divine providence, you can speak of the cosmos, the universe, uh, whatever it is, bigger truth, uh, you, you're going outside of yourself. So Liechtenstein, when he painted Death Calendar, um, Somehow he was thinking of me. It's it's actually you know quite complicated in terms of, you know at what level of consciousness and and, and, and all that, but it means he he, he connected with some um, big uh, uh, link in the universe, and you know he he conveyed this extraordinary uh, message to me who viewed the painting thirty seven more than thirty seven years later in a museum in Los Angeles. Um, and even then, all the messages, you know, took time to appear, and, and, and perhaps there's still some that have not uh, identified yet. So revelation for me is uh, human creation as it, as it, at its best, is when you know, you know, it was really, when you get this feeling, it was meant to be like this. I, I don't know, maybe when you paint a mural, that can happen to you, Taylor, I don't know, when you think, yes. It, it works with the wall, it works with the house, it works with the urban landscape in a way that uh, puts you, even you who created it, in awe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where uh, you almost feel like, I mean, those are the moments where I feel like I, I almost I like watch it happen. Like you said, like the, like I'm the observer of it happening. And, you know, people talk about being like a vessel for creativity or like an open channel. And it's, it's that. And, and when people are connecting with 
what's like essential about a situation or a concept or whatever it's like you're 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 mining the essence of it and that's yeah that's what you're talking about revelation i like it okay okay great um question two is if you had a magic wand and you could wave it uh and everything would go exactly as you would like it to what would you like life to be like in five years hmm You know, I famously concluded the uh, TEDx quoting, uh, so I, I call him my friend Marcel, so actually his full name is Marcel Blustein Blanchet. Um, uh, it was a bit of chutzpah to call him my friend. He was the founder of Publicis. He passed away a year before I joined, though I think I must have known him in a past life. And he, he said, aimez la vie, la vie vous aimera. Love, life, life will love you. And part of what uh, makes life enjoyable is surprises especially when it's good surprises of course uh, and i've been uh, really blessed in this uh, regard um, so at one level i would want um, more good surprises and that um, maybe it doesn't look like anything i can think of today um, certainly I would like the calendar story to be uh, brought to another level because I feel a duty, a sacred duty. In fact, I think that's, uh, uh, well, maybe it's in Magma 1007. I feel a sacred duty to share this story. That's why I'm doing all this. So uh, I know, I'm aware that this story is much bigger than us, that it's got a, it's a universal story and I have to make it into a universal story. Um, and, and so I'd like to be, yes, at another stage um, of sharing that story. Uh, in prior attempts to share the story, I was trying to put at the end, because I've got this spectacular beginning to the story, you know, I meet Mark and we're in the museum and we see this painting. Then there's all this stuff that happens that, you know, magic along the way and for years I wanted to you know it was a, something I wanted to share well it took a few years so maybe to look at the future we need to step back a little bit in the first few years of the calendar stories I felt I had to choose between living the story fully or observing it taking notes so I could share it later and I choose, consciously, I thought, oh, wow, this is so intense. I just have to focus on living this. And that's why the memories are really vivid. So that was stage one, from you know, meeting Mark, July 99, to 26th December 2004. Do you know what happened on that date? I don't. There was the, a big tsunami in uh, Southeast Asia, and uh, you know that killed hundreds of thousands of people, uh, all the way from um, you know uh, India and Sri Lanka to Indonesia, uh, Thailand, and few other, Vietnam, uh, few other countries as well. So Mark and I, we were in uh, Phuket, in an islet of Phuket, 
uh, when the wave hit, took away our lounge chairs. And so we, we observed and from up close something of biblical proportion, uh, yet we are protected and we are stuck on that islet for a day. So this is when I became uh, aware, so I took this as a sign and I became aware of uh, our mortality. This is when I realized I've got to focus on the most urgent and important task sharing the calendar story. So that was the turning point. Then of course I was not sufficient because I went back to work, but I had a nightmare that reconnected me with this and with a, with a link to my maternal grandfather. I mean, it is always extraordinary connections between dates and all that. So there was this phase two of sharing the story that led to uh, the 2010 and 2014 exhibition. Um, so every time the challenge I've given myself, because the story is so extraordinary, I've thought I've got to share it in an extraordinary way. Um, you know, in French we'd say I've got to do justice to the story. I don't know whether that expression works in English as well. Uh, the story is so magnificent and the way I look at it, um, it's a gift of divine providence. Uh, I have to honor it by you know, showcasing it in an extraordinary way. So that led to the transformation of the collection, that led to evidence, that led to what I'm working now with Cosmic Siblings, and we can speak about this later. So in five years' time, um, it'd be cool if the Hollywood movie was uh, ready for launch. Ah, there we go. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Invite me to the uh, opening, please. Taylor, I hope, uh, I hope you'll be there to celebrate with, uh, with us. I will. I will. Um, okay, question three now is, have you seen or experienced your work affect a person or the world on a deep level? Tell us about it. Persons, yes. The, the world, uh, no, <laughs> or not yet, or that'll be post-mortem. Uh, um, still today, once in a while here in Singapore, I meet people who've seen the 2010 exhibition, you know, we're now 11 years later, and uh, people I don't know, and who speak about it, and who remember vividly, um, so sometimes some details, or it left an impression on them. Uh, so, in fact, uh, let, me, let me go back to the Magma 1007. So, w w that has a sentence, I feel a sacred duty to share this story. Because it's so beautiful, also because it gives others permission to share. So, the, um, when I put the code 1007, I was thinking of a branch in New York City. I had met some friends of mine that I didn't know so well. I was in New York doing research for the story in uh, October 2007. So that was what I meant then. And during that uh, brunch with people I didn't know well, um, I shared, which I had not done very much then, the episode when I heard uh, 
Liechtenstein's uh, voice speak to me. And at that time, I was not really comfortable sharing that. I thought people would think I'm crazy. Um, um, so I was, maybe I was even blushing as I was sharing this, feeling a bit uncomfortable. And I see the guy next to me, uh, I see an expression of uh, discomfort. And I, so I say, interrupt myself in the storytelling. I say, oh, do you think I'm crazy? And the guy, he apologizes. And he says, no, 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 not at all. He says, it's just that I heard the voice of my dad, of my late dad. And as he says this, uh, his uh, boyfriend uh, turns to him and says, well, you never told me that. And the guy says, I was afraid you'd think I'm crazy. So by sharing my story, I gave someone permission to get in touch with theirs and share it. And this is one of dozens of uh, examples I have of people whom I give permission to share. In fact, in evidence, there is a section where I ask people, what does divine providence mean to you? And uh, there's many, you know, many more. I've got 30 hours of video. So um, certainly, I've observed people being able to speak for the first time, to get in touch for the first time with things that they thought was just a cute coincidence and see that there's another label for that, which, okay, my vocabulary is divine providence. Um, so as you know, in the TED talk, I define my artist statement. I document divine providence. So for me, an artist is someone who's acutely aware that their perception of the world is unique and who thrives to share that. In my case, it gives permission to others to get in touch with, uh, uh, to acknowledge that dreams, uh, uh, coincidences, uh, signs might mean something. And of course, everybody is on a unique journey. So in five years' time, yeah, I would hope to see a world where uh, perhaps I've contributed or whether I contributed or not doesn't matter. I mean, I know I have contributed anyway, but where people uh, get more in touch with their spiritual self, uh, where it's more natural to speak about these things, where a lot of artworks are created referencing uh, dreams and signs and all that. I mean, it's already the case, but more and more and maybe sometimes explicitly, because of course, the more uh, you share, you more give permissions to others to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that absolutely is affecting people and, and others around you. And you, uh, am I correct when in saying that you got a bunch of phone calls from people who had the same birthday as you? And then there were like coincidences along those lines, right? So in terms of the callers uh, in the evidence project, there was one caller uh, who identified himself as also being born on 21st of May, 1962. His name is Michael Davis. He's become a really good friend. And in fact, he's been promoted to uh, um, switchboard assistance for plus one, two one two, two eight eight, four eight two zero. And we 
long story with lots of technical hurdles, but now with the numbers on WhatsApp. So, um, uh, so it's, uh, it's man during US hours by Michael. So yeah, we became friends and, um, when I got hold of the phone number, when I managed to get the phone number, uh, I think in 2011, my intention then, I was kind of hoping that somebody would call and say, hey, this is my painting. Because it's uh, that, that person's birthday and something happened to their life on October 26th and they read other things there. So Michael was close to that because he also ticked a lot of the boxes. But to my, um, well, a mixture of uh, surprise, disappointment, and delight, he, uh, while of course the painting speaks to him uh, big time, um, it, it's, it's, still, it's still my story. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Okay, well, now we're on the question four. This is the final question of part one uh and this is the big one it is what is your definition of art well i've got this good definition of an artist uh and i guess uh art is what is produced uh by an artist uh a real artist someone who's uh, who's got this awareness of their, how, how unique is that perception of the world and who, who manages to uh, translate that. Um, so, there's a beautiful definition of art that someone shared with me once. Art is what makes life more beautiful than art. Yeah. So it's a kind of this multi-layer thing. But, um, so if we speak of Liechtenstein's uh, death calendar, for example, you know, aesthetically, I can't say that I find this, you know, I can't honestly say that today I find this beautiful aesthetically. I mean, it's, it's this big black and white uh, object that, they, you know, it's um i'm not moved by its um, interesting interesting beauty personally and, and maybe it's still something i'm missing and maybe you know one of the when we say it's a gift that keeps giving maybe i will be touched by that at some point and that would be another revelation for me um, but it certainly is making my life more beautiful than art so you see it's added a layer it's added like a filter or it's added this dimension to my life, which is absolutely incredible. If you try to imagine my life without this calendar, it probably would be pretty sad. First, maybe because it would be a life possibly without love. Maybe you know, one of the reasons divine providence guided me to this calendar is I needed this to understand that, uh, you know, the potential of the relationship I could build uh, with Mark. Um, 
you know, because immediately we were three, Mark and I and the painting, or Mark the painting and me. And, you know, speak of the elephant in the bedroom, you know, this painting was big stuff, you know, a month to the day after we first met halfway around the world. So immediately I felt there's something bigger than us in this relationship. So it's uh, the role, you know, there's a long answer to the question of the role of death calendar in our relationship that has had ups and downs and uh, all kind of rebondissement. Um, so my life without this artwork would probably be pretty sad. So this is great art and uh, there's great art everywhere. Again, in museums, in galleries, on the internet. Now, you know, it's really become accessible to, um, to everyone. Two of the people who called to 12288 that I spoke to during, uh, uh, you know, in what led to evidence, um, had called out of despair. There was a homeless person who'd gone to the museum in LA on a free uh, night at the museum. There was a young person who was uh, a bit suicidal at the time. So art can um, not just make life more beautiful than art. It can, you know, it's essential in life. I mean, obviously, it's easier to say this when you've got all the needs in the Maslow pyramid that are met. But even then, it's um, art can be a lifeline. Art can make us all rich in experience, at least, and happy. I like that part a lot, uh, how it can make us all rich and and it's cool because you don't even need to stand in front of it. Like you don't even need it. Once you observe it and you witness it and you feel it, uh, you can like it's it's part of you. And then you can um, you can always go back to it. There was I remember in one of my art classes in college, there was a painting. You know, the, the teacher was just showing slides of uh, you know through art history, and there was a painting that I haven't been able to find online anywhere i haven't looked in a, in a while since the internet has gotten a lot better but it was called the deep by jackson pollock and it was like it was like looking into a bank of fog or into these clouds and it just went forever and it was like looking into existence and i just remember it like floored me you know like the just just the feeling of standing on the edge of, of the abyss of the existence of reality of whatever and I, I, I like like i didn't know art could do that and seeing that it, it like changed my life and probably is who i am as an artist today and I've, i saw it once and i've never seen it again it's like it makes you rich just by observing it once <laughs> Yeah, and it can stay with you forever.
Yeah. That's really cool. All right. So that was great. You, uh, you answered all the questions. Thank you. Great job. Um, so now at this part, this is where I, I thank my guest for, for coming on the show. And, and this is so cool. I mean, you, you and your people reached out to me and, and, you know, you felt like it would be a, a good, you know, symbiotic experience and, and it totally is. And, uh, I feel like it's, it's really an honor to be part of your story and being like having, having a place where you can tell your story. And, and, and I know that my listeners are going to love it. And, uh, and I, I encourage my art, my, my listeners to listen while they make their art or, or listen while they're being inspired to make their art. And I know that like from when I first saw the Ted talk to, to, you know, sitting here for this experience, I'm, it's got my wheels turning and it's really cool what it's doing on my end. So I know it's going to do that to everybody else. So, so great job and keep on going, keep on turning that story over and developing it. Cause it's, it's really cool what's happening. Thank you, Taylor. Uh, thank you very much. Um, yeah. So in part two, we can speak about what's coming up uh, with the cosmic siblings and, and then we let's try. Uh, yeah, and then if I can, I'll ask you a few questions and we'll see if we find a, point of connection there and so the last thing that i want to do in part one is have uh have you share where people can follow you where people can connect with you online and you know connect with the story yes of course i i i'm always happy to hear from people uh once they heard my story um always happy to hear how they their story connects with with, with mine how it's impacting them so you can find me uh, on Facebook. Uh, you can find me. So on Facebook, I've got two profiles. My sort of historical one that dates from 2008 and one I created uh, just about two weeks ago uh, where I'm only befriending my cosmic siblings. <laughs> So that's people who are born on 21st of May, 1962, like Michael. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So if you're born on that date, or if you've got, if you can help me identify people born on the date, uh, let them know to connect with me on that profile, but they have to send me a message with a connection request, you know, telling me they're born on that date. So I know that. Uh, so you can follow me on Facebook. I, I normally don't take friend requests from people I've not met, but I'm um, uh, certainly happy to have conversations and, 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 and sometimes uh, if it leads uh, somewhere deeper, um, develop a friendship. You can find me on Instagram. Um, and then there's all the work regarding the cosmic sibling projects. So um, I'm trying to reunite with everybody born on the same day as me. <laughs> That's awesome. seen, yeah. I don't know if you've seen uh, Disney's movie Soul. Yeah. Great movie. Great movie. And there's that scene where you see uh, souls in a sort of lower realm of paradise. They're like little chicks or something and they're babbling with each other. And then they incarnate, they fall in a black hole uh, through the cosmos towards Earth, sort of one a second. So in this, you see that before you incarnate, you meet your cosmic siblings, people who are born around the same time and 
as, as you. Yeah. Um, so early on in the calendar story, a few weeks after seeing the painting, I, you know, I was trying to fight the idea that the paint, that it was this was something exceptional. You, you see, I was a, at that time I would define myself as a militant agnostic. As a little boy, I had refused to do my bar mitzvah. And what it felt like at the museum, even though I know I said it's a good omen, but it really felt like winning a lottery. You've got the seven matching number and you won $100 million. So you'd feel really joyful. You'd feel this is extraordinary. You'd wonder why, you know, you take this number 14 and not 12 and whatever, and you know, how you got the winning numbers. And however, you know, you buy a lottery ticket, you've got to be ready to win $100 million if that's the prize. So that's kind of how this calendar felt, but didn't tick every, every box. But so to reassure myself that it was extraordinary, but not that extraordinary. This is when I calculated that we were about 300,000 to be born on that very same date. And I estimate that we're about 250 to 260,000 still alive today. So I don't know, Taylor, for example, do you know anyone who's born on the very same day as you? Month, day, year? <clears throat> no. No. Yeah, so... My you know, fiance and, my and one of my best friends are both born on the same day. Oh, that's cool. So they're cosmic siblings. So that's yeah. an expression uh, I came <laughs> up with, we came up with, with uh, some of them. So about five years ago, I started to look more actively for cosmic siblings. Because I want to share with them the gift of the calendar story. It speaks of their birthday. And I want to see how they're going to appropriate that. Right. Um, and that's why I'm working on something for this coming 21st of May, 21st of May 2022, when all of us are turning 60. As my birthday gift for them, I want to share the calendar story and I want to hear their stories. So there is a website, cosmicsiblings.com. And if you go there, you can, uh, if you, you know, if you, for, for now, there is a landing page with an invitation. You click on it and then that gives you to a link tree, which, uh, where you can also, um, there's another website, which is 21may1962.com. Um, and so the main thing here is for well people to follow the story. So you, you, you can follow the, there's a, there's a page. 21 May 1962 on Facebook. There's an event page. So there's lots of places where to find. And the, 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 we're, you could say a little all over the place, but because we want to try and uh, reach, um, you know, as many followers as we can so that people can join us from, you know, whatever platform. Uh, there's also an Instagram, Cosmic Siblings. So we've started to put on the Instagram photos of my Cosmic Siblings. Uh, and the cosmic siblings, you know, if you listen to this, if you are born on that beautiful Monday, 21st of May, 1962, please get in touch, hopefully in time for our 60th birthday. But if you listen to this later, it's fine. The project will grow. The community will grow. Um, and you can find, you know, on the link tree, you can find everywhere. There's a, a link, a jot form where you ask to send your photo and all that. So you can join the page and please again, connect with me on my, um, special, um, Facebook page. 
if you, Taylor, and all your listeners can do me a big favor. If you're on Facebook, go to your friends list. See who has a birthday on 21st of May. That's about 20 million people on the planet. That's a big uh, population. If we get them all interested in the calendar story and all excited, they're going to help identify the needles in the haystack who are those born on 21st May 1962. <laughs> They've got to get excited about the story. And again, they can enter, they can watch a TED talk, they can watch evidence, they can uh, look for the catalogs of the 2010 and 2014 exhibitions on the Magmatology website. So there's lots of entry points today. Um, and uh, yeah, we'd love to connect with the world. And if, if you're born on any given date, I'm inviting you to my 60th birthday party. Uh, it will be on Zoom and on Facebook Live. Um, so you'll get the, you know, the links will be posted uh, uh, there quite soon. Uh, the plan is for 8 p.m., 8 to 9 p.m. Singapore time for one hour. Um, so you can figure out what that is in your time zone. That would be 8 a.m. in New York City. Uh, that would be uh, 2 p.m. in France. Um, yeah, so it, it will be in English and we will have s s simultaneous translation in, uh, I think, at least two languages. Cool. Love it. <laughs> So it's a long answer to how to connect with me. Yeah, no, that's great. We got we got plenty of entry points, like you said. I like that. Um, all right, cool. Well, we're gonna take a break for and then go into part two. To finish off part one, will you give the people one last bit of wisdom? And it can be about anything. Breathe. You know, we all have moments of anxiety, um, you know, uh, we have all moments where we think we can't do it. Um, God insufflated life in Adam uh, by, you know, blowing in his nose. Uh, so there's lots of the you know, goodness of the universe that we can absorb uh, anytime. And sometimes I know I forget to breathe. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, yeah, so we're going towards a very happy ending for all of uh, all of us, and we can uh, we can make it happen. Cool, I like that. All right, perfect. We'll be right back. Part two is brought to you by Steady State Roasting in Carlsbad, California. This place is my favorite coffee shop on the West Coast, and the coffee is the best. They roast all their own coffees from around the world and have a roasting collective for the local coffee-making community. Check them out in the village of Carlsbad or order their beans online at steadystateroasting.com. And we're back. All right. Uh, Guillaume, you've got a coffee now because it's the morning where you're at. Yes, it's uh, well. It will soon be afternoon because it's uh, ten to noon. Okay. And what kind uh, of coffee did you make there? It's a long black uh, Nespresso. Yeah. Nice. That looks great. Yeah. Um, so, what are you having, Taylor? 
You know, I'm just going with the water right now. Um, I was in a place called Palm Desert yesterday making a mural and it was it was an exterior mural. It was outside and it was like 97 degrees, like not, no exaggeration. And uh, so I've been hydrating today. Um, but uh, yeah, so part two, I wanted to tell you, this is crazy. So uh, we just took a little break. You went and made your coffee. I turned my phone off at airplane mode and I got a message from a friend of mine asking if I could come over to, or if we were available on May 21st to come to her birthday party. We're in business, Taylor. Ah, I was like, <laughs> what? Um, and that's, that's crazy. That's, I mean, no, no, so you, you've just experienced what I'm talking about. And, <laughs> totally. Uh, yes. So, so, you know, there's something you said, um, earlier on, uh, I don't know whether it's before we started the formal, uh, podcast earlier on, but I think you said something to the effect that you'd want to become part of the story of, you know, I mean, there's something you said, and I, because I feel now you're 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 in it. So uh, if you don't mind, sh you know, later share with me the recording and this part of the re recording, just this, that becomes part of my artwork. You know, I document divine providence. So you know, we speak for an hour and a half, and um, and so so. It means you're completely connecting with my intention, which you know I felt with your you know your wonderful uh, listener. Uh, that's the universe um, sending us a big sign because of course this friend then yeah you've got to well let, let, what's what's her name? Let's dedicate the podcast to her. Her name is uh, Nicole. Yeah, this one goes out to Nicole. That's. <laughs> Uh, and Nicole, you're going to have a wonderful birthday, which is going to make, be made even more special that you'll discover the calendar story. You're obviously much younger than me. Uh, however, we share this extraordinary uh, birthday, 21st of May. And we share this with about 20 million people on the planet. So it's a big club. You know, that's roughly 8 billion divided by 365, uh, give or take. Um, and so you're not, well, in fact, during the coffee break, so I, I'm with um, uh, Alexandre, Alexandre Brizard, he's a, a project manager, he's helping me with a community uh, uh, management on Facebook. And we were, he, he was mentioning a, um, someone uh, you know, born on 20, 20th of May who had been responding to one of our ads. So we, we've been advertising on Facebook to uh, try and identify cosmic siblings. and. So far, Meta does not let us target exactly who we want, so we, we, we go a little bit blind and we've got uh, people usually all born in 1962, but different dates responding, uh, some of whom, of course, would be happy to celebrate uh, our birthday, even if it's not theirs. So, yeah, everybody's invited to my 60th birthday party, and of course, um, it's also, um, you know, some someone's 22nd birthday party maybe that's how old nicole is and oh um 
Yeah, so if you're born on 21st of May, please come and bring your guests and all that. So there, there'll be a, there'll be a Zoom link and there'll be a Facebook Live. Uh, so if, if you go to the Facebook event page about 21st May 2022, that event is created by the page 21 May 1962 on Facebook. Uh, otherwise, if you press any of the other link, you'll get uh, get a way to get there. So Nicole, I want to invite you to my birthday party. And the thing is, because of the timing, uh, it won't clash because it will be uh, early morning for you. Um, well, actually really early because you're in California and Nicole is in California. Maybe like 5 a.m. All right. All right. So, Nicole, can well, we... Yeah, because, um, yeah. Well, first, it's a way to extend the birthday by starting early on the day. Yeah. And, and maybe indulging on a nap at some point. Um, otherwise, of course, we will re record all that, and um, I'm ho I intend to turn this into a film. <laughs> nice. Yes. Featuring you, Taylor, now. There we go. Yep, I'll share this little clip with you about my mind being blown <laughs> that that just happened. And that was the exact same feeling that you had when you saw the painting. Yeah. Yes. And this same feeling I have... Uh, on a daily basis, at least on a good day, you know, something happens that like, you know, yeah, I mean, you, you know how it is. You want to speak to someone and you keep uh, forgetting or procrastinating. And then here you cross the street and the person is there in the bakery shop with you. Uh, so it's easy. It's, uh, and when, when these things happen, and if you're, and if you're in, the more you're in flow, the more you're in touch with yourself, the more you breathe well and drink lots of water and... Uh, um, meditate and uh, uh, the more you're authentic and true to yourself the more these things happen they, they at, at the very least it adds um, uh, poetry and beauty to life it makes it uh, more practical also um, yeah, yeah and it's wonderful because then you come with gifts like for Nicole you've got this extraordinary you know what better birthday gift can you have for her than the calendar story <laughs> right <laughs> totally yeah that's cool happy birthday nicole i, I you know i i now you know in fact <laughs> uh, once you've shared this with nicole if she wants to have a zoom call with me I, i'd love to bring her in because uh yeah that'd be awesome great yeah i'll tell her <laughs> um that's awesome Okay, so now again, the way that we do this um, part two element is I give you two concepts and then you take it whichever way you want. And then it's just a free flow conversation from there. Are, are you ready for that element? I am. Okay. Um, so one concept is that of art history as a conversation through time. And then the other concept is fate or destiny or fate and destiny or whatever. Right. So I choose one of the two. Yep. Okay. Well, I'll do a Guillaume on this, which means I'll, I'll choose one and I will bring in two. Uh... <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, art history as a conversation. You know, I'm not trained in art history. Um, uh, I'm not a specialist in that. 
but I feel I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I've defined myself as a conceptual artist, uh, and I feel, I mean, certainly in conversation, well, certainly with Liechtenstein, but not only with Liechtenstein, with uh, Onkawara. Uh, Onkawara was this Japanese conceptual artist who was painting, uh, you know, dates, date paintings. Uh, so I've got lots of stories with him, with uh, Christo. Christo, who wrapped uh, Le Pont Neuf um, when I was in my early 20s, was, which was, who, was a big influence for me. Um, so there's a number of artists that speak directly to me uh, and I respond to in my work. So I'm, I'm suddenly having conversation with, uh, with Liechtenstein, with Christo, with Ankawara with artists in the Magma Collection where I transformed their works. So early on, I, miss, I mentioned David Chan, a Singaporean artist, uh, but, you know, there, 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 there's many others. And of course, artists through time have always been referencing uh, each other, and that always leads to interesting debate today about intellectual property and all that. Uh, there's a series by Liechtenstein that I absolutely love where he's referencing Monet. Liechtenstein did uh, a few paintings of, uh, I think, the cathedrals of, uh, I, think, I think it's Rouen, and uh, haystacks. In fact, haystacks. You know, I'm looking for needles in a haystack. So I have, in my conversation with Liechtenstein, it's not just this calendar. There's so many of Liechtenstein paintings that speak to me. Um, but now to turn that into a, you know, an art historical conversation, I need to produce more works that respond to that or to be given an opportunity. So an opportunity I would love. So in terms of uh, um, bring such a conversation to life, if a museum or an institution invited me to uh, respond to Liechtenstein so whether I'm curator or whether I'm a contemporary artist responding to. Um, so for example, next to a haystack by Liechtenstein, I would speak about cosmic siblings. I'm looking for needles in a haystack. Now, thanks to you, Taylor, and bringing in Nicole, I'm getting a little bit closer because you know what? People born on 21st of May know other people born on 21st of May. We kind of remember people who we shared a birthday with. So, um, the proche en proche, uh, you know, from one person to the next, we will get to uh, people born on 21st of May 1962. And of course, next to that uh, Liechtenstein haystack, you could have one by Monet. Now, the truth is, the one by Monet don't touch me as much as the one by Liechtenstein. In terms of visual language, I much prefer Liechtenstein's. Now, of course, I know he's referencing Monet. And maybe Monet is referencing Courbet or other artists that came before him. Um, so we, you know, that would be one way to uh, showcase the, the conversation. Now, of course, what's extraordinary between Monet, or if we think of Courbet, uh, 
Monet, Liechtenstein, it's all painting on canvas. Cosmic siblings, we're talking about completely different language. So it's conceptual art. I don't know yet exactly what it is because um, part of my art includes sur surrendering to divine providence. So maybe here I need a footnote explaining how that's different from fate and different from destiny. Um, so the Cosmic Siblings project, it has to do with um, wanting to connect with these people who um, I feel I might have met as uh, just before incarnation. And this feeling was reinforced about a, a month and a half ago. I was in Dubai and I met with one of the cosmic siblings. Uh, his name is Ali Sahir Sabaka. He is uh, originally from uh, the state of Kerala in India. And that alone uh, makes me, uh, uh, you know, gives a beautiful context because uh, the, the, the motto of the state of Kerala, the tourism slogan is God's own country. So of course that's, that's, uh, that speaks to me. And uh, Alisa here, he, he works uh, in Dubai as a, as a driver. And we connected on Facebook uh, two years ago. So he joined, uh, we had, um, so two years ago we were all in big lockdown when we turned 58. So we had this pioneering event with about 30 people across the planet from uh, Colombia, Mexico, Dubai, Philippines, UK, uh, I mean, Ivory Coast, you know, about a dozen countries on the planet. And, uh, you know, which was wonderful, just feeling the connection. And when, when I met Alisa here in person for the first time, uh, he, we hugged and he cried and I, I felt really moved. And I tell you, Taylor, I feel it's like we, we are long-lost siblings. We have that connection and we reactivated it. So now there's an interesting uh, discussion about what is a cosmic sibling and there's an art historical uh, context to that conversation. So conceptual art which, uh, you know, emerged in the 20th century. Um, well, there's an art historian that can speak about it much better, but the question I want to share is, should I be, you know, how, how obsessive should I be about the definition, about my definition? So, for example, do we want cosmic siblings or rigorous, Rigoureusement born on 21st of May 1962. Or, you know, can they be born a day before or a day after? Um, you know, I'm, I'm born in the early morning. I was born in the early morning of Monday, 21st of May 1962, near Paris. At that time, it was still Sunday night, the <laughs> yeah. 30th of May in the US. Right. Which is why I told Alexandre, please let, let's include uh, this person if they want to join our event, if they feel the connection. And because, of course, there are people born on the same day as me who won't feel the connection, or it may take them more time. 
I mean, there are grumpy people uh, everywhere, and including some that might have been born on our day, and hopefully uh, we'll help them get in touch with their innate joy and want to celebrate. And for that matter, perhaps Nicole, even though she's uh, much younger than me, maybe you know, she wants to wake up at 5 a.m. and join my birthday party and celebrate and make that a little bit her birthday party. And in fact, part of the proceedings on 21st of May 2022 will include a special message of connection uh, with everybody born on 21st of May um, anytime. And Taylor, I hope you join as well. I hope uh, everybody feels like joining because um, well, it's my birthday, it's a Cosmic Sibling's birthday, it's Nicole's birthday, it's 20 million people's birthday. And it's actually, uh, it's actually everybody's birthday. You know, God creates the world anew every instant. Creation is not something that happened at Big Bang and then sort of God went on vacation. Every moment it's recreated. Every moment it requires uh, God's um, um, willingness to, um, uh, you know, keep it going and recreating it. So yeah, let's let's celebrate every moment. And uh, yeah, and in fact, you know, when we have the event 8 p.m. Singapore time, um, it could already be. It might already well, or it will be just midnight in New Zealand. I think you know so. It will be 20, you know, it's always another day for someone else. And every instant has magic. Okay, I've deviated a little bit of the conversation about um, art history. <laughs> uh, All right, so this is for. Yeah, but I, 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 well, I mean, the short answer is... Uh, I'd love to take that conversation to a museum, uh, being invited to converse with Liechtenstein, putting, you know, getting out of collections and museums, um, maybe 12 painting by Liechtenstein that speak to me profoundly beyond this calendar. So we'll see, you know, that my connection with Liechtenstein goes beyond. So we have identified, I've spoken about one now with Hestak. Uh, but there's others, you know, there's a knock knock from 1961, knock knock, like, uh, you know, I'm going to come over. Uh, there's one where he speaks of, uh, you know, Vicky heard a voice. Well, I heard a voice. I heard Liechtenstein's voice. Um, there's a painting of a golf ball. And it was not obvious to me at first, but that painting is a homage to Mondrian, who is another of the artists I'm drawn to. And, you know, again, we're staying at the Mondrian Hotel. So, um, um, And I'm looking forward to the moment where artists will create a conversation with uh, my works. I mean, I've, I've know it, I know it's bubbling. I've had some conversations that some people want to create work about the calendar story. Once or twice, commissioned works. Uh, we've commissioned work, actually once I've commissioned a work by um, Two young Singaporean artists, Jamie Tan and Jamie Chiu. They are represented by our porters, the gallery I run with our partner Sean. And uh, this painting responds to um, 
the moment in Canada's story when the moment when I, I had a vision, when I saw this blue white flash of divine light. Um, So, conversation for art, about art history, you know, that can be academic. What I'm inviting, I know you have a lot of artists listening to your podcast, Taylor. Let's have conversations between artists. That's how we will make art history. The world we're entering is increasingly, as we all know, a world of collaboration. And when I say I document divine providence, let's all document it. Let's all celebrate those magical moments in our lives. Um, so are there fate, are there destiny, are there divine providence, are they just beautiful and poetic? Doesn't absolutely matter how you call them, so long as you notice them and you celebrate them. What I don't like about the word fate is it, there's a feeling of passivity around it. Um, of course you could say, was it fate that I met Mark? Yeah, possibly. Um, is it our destiny to be together? Possibly. Uh, overall, as I say, uh, yeah, I call it divine providence. I have a friend of mine, uh, Alexandra. She, she uses a very different vocabulary, a scientific one. She says, Guillaume, he captures low frequency signals. Really? And it's very interesting because, uh, so this could be a scientific way of looking at it. And, and that's not incompatible with speaking of divine providence. Because God you know, has built this world we're in, uh, you know, with physical means and by creating laws of nature. And of course, you can contravene them if you want, but most, most stuff works like that. And the miracles are first the miracles of you know, nature. Um, and... You know, you put your phone on the airplane mode, and so did I with mine. Uh, the only difference is that I, I refrained from uh, <laughs> checking for messages during the coffee break. Otherwise, I could not be present now. And, but Nicole, maybe she captured some of that energy, and that's why the timing of that message, you know, it was really feels like it meant to come during that coffee break. So that you would experience this and feel this. Uh, um, so you, of course, you can look at it like I, I was trying to look at this Canada first. You can look at it and see, well, this is just random. It's just, uh, you know, of course, we're getting closer to the date. It's when she would send a birthday greetings, just happened to be at this time. And maybe thinking it's just curious and ignore it. Or you can marvel of the, uh, how extraordinary is the timing. And then you could give it a scientific name because, you know, there's such thing as telepathy. I mean, our thoughts uh, are, you know, have electric uh, chemical components in the brain and they emit energy and uh, that energy can escape the confine of our skull and go somewhere. Maybe it's an explanation for a lot of what I've experienced and what you just experienced. And, the, of course, What's beautiful, if you look at it the scientific way, like, you know, Guillaume captures lower frequency, then the question is, well, what are those signals? Can we scientifically study them? Can, you know, what, what else can we do about it? And one day we will perceive them all because 
So in fact, one of the intentions um, I had when we set up our collection with Mark is one day to set up a foundation to assist brain research. When we were back from California, when we moved in together, I told Mark, I want to understand why did we choose LA? How come we ended up in this museum as the first museum we visited and all that? I wanted to find uh, sort of scientific responses for that and share, share them to make a better world. We, I mean, we all know where we're using only partially the powers of our brains. So maybe telepathy is somewhere you know, more or less accessible to some of us. Um, so the conversation about art history um, and about divine providence, it can also encompass uh, science. And when we will see those signals, whether with apparatus or with our eyes that will have evolved a bit, you know, the world will be even more beautiful. And this is when you know, art and reality will fully merge. Mm-hmm. Like that, <laughs> like the synthesis of all of the the different approaches or perspectives, come, all comes together. Yes, there is no reason why there has to be a dichotomy between uh, the reality we want, the one that we observe at little points in time, and what it should be at all points in time. Michelangelo said, I believe he said, that the sun, the sun is the shadow of God. So the reason why we don't see divine providence and all the, the links that are between us, why we see all this energy, because we would be blinded. There'd be so much light, so much going on, so many things. I mean, you, you know that the reality we experience, you know, are like our, our flesh and bones and the, the our computers and all that. It, it's it's not hard stuff solid as we experience it to be because the atoms and molecules or whatever keep moving at that speed of light and and all that so um, if we could see all that like you can see with an electronic microscope and if you could see uh, you know in one of my projects Le Secret Sacré I used medical imagery and so I have this extraordinary gift that I received about 15 years ago which I never opened so as a homage to Christo, I kept it wrapped. However, I brought it to the hospital uh, and something extraordinary happened. Now, if we could have X-ray vision, and also, so why did I decide to not open this gift? Why did I decide to bring it to the hospital? And then these extraordinary images happen. I'll give you the link to the, the Secret Sacré uh, to, to share with your, 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 your listeners as well. Uh, I don't know. So was I conscious of that? I don't know. However, one day we will have all these extraordinary perception uh, and yeah, art and life and nature will all be merged. Uh, we will see uh, God's creation in its, uh, uh, it, it, with more of its dimensions, maybe not all of it. Yeah, it's cool to think about the like the nature of reality in terms of, you know, like this desk here is it's not solid in in reality. And then and then the whole concept of dark matter, you know, like supposedly like 99 percent of of like the matter of 
the universe we can't even experience because it's dark matter or something like uh <laughs> what's like what's going on with all these layers of existence like you're talking about like we we can only interpret like a fraction of them and we can't even really do it all at the same time we just have to think about one at a time yeah so conversation about art history so i see this world where one day you know when we speak it will be poetry or song when we won't uh, necessarily walk we could just dance all the time well you know this there's no reason to have to compartmentalize the the world between art and 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 the rest right yeah it's all yeah and and that's that's uh that's the thing like if you if you are an artist then like what you're making and leaving behind is art and if you if you feel like if you think like an art as an artist if you act as an artist if you live your life as an artist then like everything that you're doing the entire time could be um art if you're if you're doing it consciously or or just in flow i guess yes and that's when and like poetry you know i've heard it i've heard poetry talking about or talked about as if it's something that you know it's not something you do it's not something you make happen it's something that happens through you it's like the thing that like when when you're struck by those divine moments of beauty or love or experience or power or whatever like poetry just comes out of of the poet yes so can i ask you a few questions taylor <laughs> sure <laughs> Um, first, tell me about your name, G Gal Gallegos. Gallegos. Where, where, where does it mean? Um, it, it's Spanish, and it's from northern Spain, uh, I'm told. And it's something along the like gallo is a rooster in Spanish, and so it's along the lines of like the rooster. Right. And you know that the rooster is a symbol of France. Oh, right. Uh, yes. Um, yeah, we say Cocorico. If, if we win the World Cup or something, and um, uh, a lot of French national teams have a rooster as a symbol. Uh, yeah. And, um, yeah. and the, the old Roman name of France was Gaulle, which is actually quite close to, I, mean, I don't know if it's the same root as... Uh, the roots of Gallegos, um, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Uh, yes. So, have you? Well, be, besides just now this uh, invitation from Nicole, have you experienced what you think are moments where divine providence is saying hello to you? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I was thinking about it. Um, there's been certain times in my life where where they've happened like left and right um there was one tour that i went on with a band where i was um i was doing live art on stage with this band at every show that they would do and it was we call we ended up calling it the synchronicity tour because it was like everywhere we went and turned this lined up with that and that lined up with that and 
you know it was like it after a while it almost like became a joke because everything was just like happening so perfectly and um and then another and then my fiance and then one of my best friends I was telling you about they turned 35 on March 27th this uh like a month and a half ago or a month ago and we went to Guatemala for 10 days and and the same thing was happening like synchronicity synchronicity the first day we got there the driver of one of our tuk-tuks I just like started talking to him and um I was just you know practicing my Spanish and asking him all the the questions that came relatively easily and uh, I ended up asking him how old he was and he said he was like 44 and I was like oh when's your birthday and it was March 27th the same birthday as Haley and Tony I was like we were, and Tony was sitting right next to me and then Haley was in the other tuk-tuk and you know just things like that and they just things just kept happening and it's interesting and I was thinking about how uh when I'm when I'm in flow I feel like they happen a lot and then also like when I'm uh when I'm traveling it seems to happen and maybe 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 there's something sort of magical about traveling and how you you sort of get on a different frequency maybe Right. Right. Interesting. Well, clearly, the, and the, this is why you know I, I, I keep repeating love, life, life with love. You. What's for sure is it's harder for these things to happen if you know if you stay secluded in your home and studio and don't talk to anyone else. Um, it's harder for magic to happen. Um, I mean, the phone can ring on its own because someone suddenly thinks of you and all that. But you go out in the street, um, in a museum, or uh, shopping, or you know, you embrace life. You meet people, you call friends. Stuff is more likely to happen. How many times have I called friends out of the blue? In those days when you still call people, and and they would say, "Oh, that's so nice, Guillaume. You're calling me for my birthday." And I, I didn't know it was their birthday, but <laughs> I, I call. Um, yeah, so life or divine providence or the big random computer uh, does send us very nice uh, signals yeah. uh, as, as I call them in the TED talk uh, we've got to notice and pick up those clues that the universe sends us in this treasure hunt called life yeah and I like to I like that way of saying it because it does feel like uh, like it's a clue or it's a little like it's a little treat you know that the universe is giving you to say like yeah keep going you're in the right direction keep going um because and and, and it's in times of my life where i haven't seen those things a lot of times that's when i when i'm just sort of not going in the direction that i want or i feel like i'm swimming upstream or things aren't happening the way they they should and or i would like them to you know whatever but um yeah that's the interesting part that's the big interesting question about all these things is like what what does it mean when you see those things when they all line when things line up because everybody is has experienced it at times in their life well what does it mean to you <laughs> yeah just keep going keep like keep leaning in to the direction you're going yeah, and, so and it's magic like you said like you were saying earlier like it's uh, 
these things are to be celebrated. Yes. And for me, exactly as you said, it feels validating. When it happens, and just like now with the Nicole incident, you feel, okay, we are the right place at the right time. We're doing the right thing. The <laughs> universe is responding immediately. We're told, hey guys, you're doing something right. Look, there's already one, you know, even, even if we touch only that one person, only if it's Nicole who's, uh, first, I think we're both deriving pleasure from this conversation. So that's only that, it's great. And, uh, um, but perhaps we're going to make Nicole's birthday extraordinary. If she does wake up at five, she'll have, you know, at <laughs> her birthday party later that day, she has a you know, story to tell and new friends and people who wished her happy birthday. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the secrets to make things happen is to respond. So we get this validating signal. I mean, like what you and your girlfriend did by inviting her cosmic sibling to the vacation in Guatemala. That's awesome because uh, we're clearly not just noticing, she's not just noticing that she's got this special uh, connection with that person. Be, you know, you, he, he's part of your life and, and then you meet someone else who shares the birthday, not the year, but the birthday and, uh, um, and feel some joy together. So the more we do something with what we have, uh, the more we give opportunity for more magic to happen. For us to reveal divine embroidery. So I go back to this word of revelation. When it, when it really feels right, I feel like, oh, wow, it's, you know, you remember the game with some, some lottery had that as, you know, you, you'd have a sort of lot, kind of lottery ticket, you scratch with a coin and then you might win something. Um, so there's that ink uh, hiding the, what's really printed there. So for me, that's, that's, it's revelation. We scratch the surface and this extraordinary link happens. So, yeah. Um, it's only by having a conversation with, say, well, Nicole watching TED Talk or listening to this podcast that she knows what else she responds to. But we, we give it a chance because we've created the conversation. We, you, you, you'll be um, posting it. People will listen. And then stuff happens. There's a reaction to each action. The key is action. We live in a world that's not spiritual, not purely spiritual. It's physical. Uh, God has wanted it this way, and so we need effort to manifest uh, things. We yeah, we need to go on a vacation to Los Angeles and visit Moca. Uh, we need to go on a vacation to Guatemala. We need to have this conversation. I like that. Yep. Action. Action makes things happen, and and then gets the ball rolling. <laughs> I like the divine embroidery um, term because it's almost like you, you you sort of get to look beneath, like right underneath the seams of what's there. And then you see like, oh, wow, there's like, there's embroidery. It's been put together here in this like beautiful way. Yes. And, um, and, and, and when, it, when it is divine embroidery, you know it, you see it. You see it's so extraordinary. You say there's no way human imagination could have put it together. Mm -hmm. uh, so the calendar story is that, but it has many, many, many episodes. And so sometimes 
Well, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll maybe thinking of Nicole, I'll reveal a little bit of what I'm planning for the 21st of May, 2022. Um, I have this artist uh, friend uh, here in Singapore, and uh, Art Porter's Gallery represents her. Her artist name is Chinese, Beiti Shan. Her real name is uh, Bettina Schleier. She's originally from Austria, uh, lives here. I met her she, uh, when she, uh, as an art his, uh, restaur restorer, she was repairing, she was restoring, uh, cleaning, and then helped to uh, repair work from our collection. And um, when we met, I think she Googled me or something, and maybe watched a TED talk, and, and she told me that she was born on the 21st of May, 1982. So that's my 20th birthday. Now I know she was God's gift to me, my birthday gift <laughs> on my 20th birthday. Except I didn't know it then. I didn't know that I didn't think about this baby being born uh, somewhere in Austria as I was celebrating my 20th birthday. I met her, you know, 30 something years later in Singapore. Um, so, as you can easily calculate, this coming 21st of May, we are turning 100, 60 plus 40, Bettina and I. Mm -hmm, yeah. And she's just prepared um, an extraordinary artwork uh, for our birthday. It's called Positive Network. At the center of it, she, she, I bought her back from Paris last year, a little sample of the cloth uh, used by Christo to wrap the Arc de Triomphe uh, last year. Wow. It's a posthumous work, but you know, so on the opening day or maybe, or maybe sometime during the, uh, the event, uh, they were giving little uh, square sample of that uh, cloth. So I bought her one and to my surprise, I discovered that um, last week, she uh, transformed that into an artwork with beading. It looks like electronics. It looks like the map of a city. Uh, it's some of the beads glow in the dark and it's uh, it's called positive network and she says Guillaume this describes your work connecting people uh, and, and it's extraordinarily beautiful and it's it's also uh, an illustration of uh, you know initially I thought of you know really connecting just with the people born on uh, 21st of May 1962, but then as I mentioned, May 20, May 22, you know, it's a question of time zone and it's a question of feeling. Um, and it's also any 21st of May. So Bettina with, uh, you know, showcasing this positive network will symbolize uh, the birthday wish, birthday wish for more human and beautiful connection for everybody born on any given 21st of May. And then I will rope in my uncle and godfather. I was born on his 20th birthday. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah, so, there's a way. so this is what I call divine embroidery because I've got symmetry. I've got my godfather born 20 years to the day. So my, my, my father's only brother before me, 21st of May, 1942 extraordinary birth you know during uh, German occupation of France a Jewish family and then the birth of uh, Bettina 40 years <laughs> after my uncle 
So I'm kind of sandwiched in the middle. That has this symmetry. So divine embroidery, the way I look at it, or the part that I reveal that I see most of the time, always has some kind of symmetry. But not a perfect symmetry because, you know, it's... Uh, but it's just so, so beautiful. That's awesome. <laughs> totally. I see it. Yeah. So my other question for you, Taylor, is about uh, your work as a painter, as a muralist. I don't know how you define that. Uh, what, you know, what's your practice about? Do you have an artist statement? And, 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 and then the follow-up question is, how does that work come together with doing the podcast? What's your intention with the podcast? And what, you know, what's the... Uh, why is it the same person that does these two things? How do we uh, uh -huh. see you or, or a bigger part of that? Yeah. Wow. Great question. Um, well, I feel like my, I feel that my art in terms of being a muralist, uh, a painter on canvas, a drawer and a podcaster, it all really focuses in a, in a person, me as a, as a person, that's also my art. And, and it's all, it all has to do with the, my belief that we're all connected and that there's, um, there's a, a beauty and a soul and a, and a divinity to, to everybody in, you know, all human beings and then all living beings on the planet and um past and the future and and I, I feel like i've seen this connection in various ways and other people don't always see it and so then my work is bringing that to to light um for everybody else to see and i and i feel like my work through time is is going in the direction of being I mean I don't feel like I'm fully successful at expressing that through my various mediums um and uh but that's my that's my direction that's my intention uh and that's my my overall goal and I feel like I've been kind of training my whole life through my various art practices to to be able to to hopefully make make great great statements throughout time uh on the topic of the connectedness of everybody well with this uh interview today i think you're delivering on that promise you're giving me uh, an awesome opportunity to speak about my efforts and uh yeah it feels like it will connect uh well, it will do its bit to connect us a little bit more. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, that that's great. It's good to hear. Uh, well, Guillaume, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate you taking your time and uh, sharing your story with everybody. And I'm excited to put this one out. And and hopefully we get some more people connected with you for your 21st uh, of May. Yes, I thought we were going to say for my 21st birthday, but it feels like that. 21st birthday, you're turning 21. <laughs> exactly. um, yeah. Well, thank you 
for having me, Taylor. It's been a privilege and a pleasure. Uh, yeah. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> there we go. Merci beaucoup. Thank you. Gracias a ti. De nada. Mucho placer. Hasta luego. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, everybody who's been listening in, thank you for being so patient to, uh, if you're still with us at this point, uh, it's uh, really uh, an honor to be speaking to each of you individually. Um, I wish uh, I wish you a beautiful life, a merry unbirthday, if it's your unbirthday today, as it's most likely to be. And if it is your birthday today, as you're listening to this, well, listen, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. God bless you all. Uh, cheers. And that was my interview with Guillaume Levy Lambert. How's that sound, huh, guys, huh? my french coming in pretty good now after having a conversation with the french gentleman um <laughs> that's all i got though that's all i got uh what a cool conversation and what a trip that i got that text message from a friend about a birthday party on may 21st and i and it's wild because i almost never turn my phone on to like take my phone off of airplane mode during the little break but because Guillaume was making coffee for about five minutes, I had enough time to like do that. And um, <laughs> that text message came through. Like, what does it all mean, guys? What does it all mean? <laughs> what do you think it means? That's my question. Because everybody has a different take on everything. And, you know, we've all experienced it. Like I'm sure you, the listener, have experienced these things at different times because it's part of being a human. It's like part of the human archetype, which is so interesting. And I, like, the, I feel like the farther I go along in life, the more it almost feels like, like an archetypal dream. Like, like we all experience these dreams of life we have similar like formative experiences just in different shapes and forms we have different um life arcs and lessons that we learn and challenges that we face and um synchronicities are like one of those things that connects us all and and that we all like see happen and it's cool there's been different takes on it um, one movie that came to mind as, as we were talking was um, Slumdog Millionaire. Have you guys seen that? That's a really great film. And uh, the thing that I took away from it, although I watched it like 10 years ago once, so I might be completely off on this, but my memory of it is um, that like as the storyline progresses things start to line up and as they line up it goes from a feeling of that everything is random and nothing is connected to like maybe things are connected to the end you're like oh my god everything is connected and everything has lined up to lead to this moment and um yeah it's really cool what that feeling does to our experience of reality 
and what's going on and why we're here and what the experience of our life is and what the point is because yeah everything's everything feels kind of pointless at times or or dis disconnected and and also i feel like your perspective on it makes a difference like he was saying like duchamp said you know the, the the viewer creates the painting or interprets the painting or whatever the quote was but if you take somebody who doesn't believe in any of this at all and doesn't like doesn't subscribe to the concept then they're gonna shut it down and they're really not gonna see any of it but then you take someone who believes things along these lines and then um their eyes are open to see it uh, which is cool because then it kind of comes down to a perspective or like a choice of how you want to see the world um yeah really interesting stuff and of course i mean I, I can't really talk about this without thinking about contexts of i don't know like bigger world situations like uh we're we're very blessed to be able to speak about these things and to have lives where things have, have gone so well and are going well and and not everybody's so lucky to do that and um you know i wonder how how people in different situations would feel about this stuff but alas um i'll let that go right there but anyway thanks for thanks for listening i hope that uh you got something out of this inspiration this this podcast is all about inspiration so again you are a creative in your heart and soul and uh why don't you see what you can do with that whether you're practicing art or creativity regularly or you're thinking about it or you got ideas or you you haven't even felt it at all maybe maybe dive in whatever Go after it. Do it. That's all I got, guys. Cheers. <laughs>